If you go to the river every day, you go fishing and you just urinate, you're not going to learn anything else, are you? You're just not going to learn it because, I mean, you're stuck in a rut in one thing. My favourite time is, believe it or not, it might seem contradictory, the month of June, evening times in the month of June. Phenomenal. My favourite flight to fish is the sherry spinner, the spinner of the blooming olive. When that happens, bliss is all I can call it. Hello and welcome to the Ireland on the Fly podcast about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. It's St. Patrick's Week and for so many fly anglers, this really is the start of the brown trout season in Ireland, especially on the rivers, including the River Shore, which has been called the finest brown trout river in Europe. So for this week's episode, we wanted to find out how and where it fishes best. And so we speak to George McGrath of Gundog and Fly YouTube fame, who also has spent a lifetime fishing the shore. So, Tom, before we hear from George, just as we spoke last week about the near summer water levels, along came the downpours with a bang. How has the fishing been for you? Dara, well, George and Clorshop were all we made in a couple of fuckle and you know Sanagla Askelga. So that was that was very nice. Actually, more than Cooper Fuckle as well. Um, there's a couple <laughs> of secrets that uh, are being revealed as well if people uh, want yeah, to get so out if Google, you put Translate. Google Translate on your phone <laughs> up to it. You, 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 George gives the exact coordinates of those big fish. Actually, I have but to say, I, you know, it's brilliant to hear the the, the Guelga, especially the week that's in it. And, you know, even my kids in school, they're having to be, you know, they're getting prizes for whoever's speaking the most and they're learning about the anthem. And, you know, it's it's great to see it, I have to oh, say. Oh, it's great to see it. And like, you know, a couple of things happened in the past, like things like on Colin Kuhn and all of mm-hmm. that. You know, it's it's great. It's lovely. It's, it's great. It's great language that we have and we've, we've got to cherish it. We really do. That's yeah, hopefully more than just a week. <laughs> it's yeah, not a red that's assessment. it. But look, you've got to start somewhere and you've got to be promoting it. Exactly. And, uh, that's why it was great to to chat to to George and that. Yeah, because yeah. George he's great. George is great anyway, but it's even better that we could be talking in Irish. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and just back to what you said there. Yeah, it's really come with a bang. I mean, I'm looking here and out the window. It hasn't stopped all day. Uh, I was out the last couple of days, uh, and I was on mask, and the lake was rise has has been rising in the last three days. And I was just saying there to you earlier on before we went down with George like at one stage it was an under the ferry bridge I don't know if you know that in Lot Mask and um, it, it it separates the upper mask from the lower mask and actually the old name on upper mask was Lockle Bride it had a separate name entirely on the old maps yeah it's a big enough body of water it's about five kilometres long but uh, so it was just going through that and some flow coming through like I, I'm silly I, I actually dropped the speed of the engine just to see how much how much the flow was and as I hit like as I was down to about 40% the boat started to to shift like the, the boat stopped I wasn't making any headway and the next thing I realised the bow was if I had done it anymore the bow would have been smashed against the side of the bridge so that was the that was the level of the flow uh, so yeah lake is flying up again but you know we needed it I mean we were talking as like when we were talking to um, to Michael Shader and the amount of water and how it's been detrimental for particularly the salmon fishing. You know, we really need this rain. So look, I know George is saying there that um, he's going to be sort of a lot of places he won't be able to fish at the start of it, but you know, we do need it. We do need, we do it. need it. But then it's annoying because it's like holds you back. So I was I wanted to get out of Blackwater last week. Uh, and of course, the rains came. 
actually, you just reminded me. The trout no. and salmon frog cover picture. Yeah, not happening. Springer lying year. on the snow. Not happening, no. It's going to be 2024, <laughs> I'm afraid. No, I was, I was in touch and that bloody rain came, shot up. Yeah. 1.2, I think, on the gauge. Oh, my God. And um, like just to see it, like it just, you know, mm. in terms of the water levels. So, so then I, I mean, what's your plan for this weekend? That so, Like, would you be Paddy's Day, I go trout fishing? No, I'd say right. bring the kids down to the Paddy's Day Parade. Okay, um, so the day that's after the first, Paddy's Day? <laughs> yeah, no, normally what I do is kind of after bring the kids to the parade, come back home, try and get out for a couple of hours in the afternoon. Do you know, it's even just to get down to the river for an hour. Yeah, it's like what well, well, we always say that. It's just that fact of getting out, isn't it? Yeah, and if it's not the Friday, I'll do it sometime over the weekend. And I, I, Do you know what it is? It's more, the season's open. I can now go whenever the hell I want. Mm. You know, even if I don't have to, I can still have the choice of going, will I go or not? You know what I mean? As opposed to it's the closed season. So are you going to, will you be out, out on paddies? Are you guiding or what's the? Uh, I've been guiding the last couple of days. Um, I've kept paddies free. I kept the weekend free. Um, kept Saturday free because that's, there, can, there might be something on the television at about five o'clock. Uh, yeah. And then a competition in Galway. I always fish on Sunday, which is nice, south commercial, which is nice. You actually go out from Goa City and then I'm flat to the mat then from Monday onwards. Right. So you will hopefully get a bit the of du- Hopefully the duck fly should be making its appearance, hopefully on Monday morning when I start. Uh, <laughs> Monday at 8 a.m. Yeah, the yeah, duck fly yeah. will appear. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to speak to George McGrath now. Um, it's about the shore. It's about a whole lot more. That's <laughs> great. It's great. Are you George, George, it's about fly fishing. Farming, life, nature. Yes. Dogs and waistcoats. It's not something you hear every day. No. You might not want to picture it either, but, you know, just just go with it first, you know. Um, It's just not your average fishing podcast. (laughs) No, no. And if you're a Euro nympher, be prepared to be insulted as well. So just, you know, I am one, but, you know, I just had to go with it anyway. Um, Look, you took it very well, Darren. You, You took it very well. It's, you know, being a dub, fly fishing, you're on in for it, you know. I, I tick all those boxes, like, you know. Uh, well, look, let's hear from George now. Uh, and I first asked him about his plans for the opening day on the shore. The anticipation, as you say, has been building for quite some time. And we had just a really long dry spell there and the river was coming into such beautiful condition. I was I was kind of drooling, looking over the bridges, you know what I mean? I just chomping at the bit sort of thing, mad to get there. And now we've had, like you say, a deluge of rain. And now the river, the river shore is out in the fields virtually all over the place. Now there may be parts of it right up at the very top reaches where you might be able to fish, but as regards where I fish, generally speaking, it's completely out of condition. So I'll be forced, unfortunately, well, fortunate really to have alternatives i can head to some of the smaller rivers you know some of the tributaries and other little rivers you know that i generally do that anyway uh, at the beginning of the season you know yeah i was gonna say do would you normally anyway whether if 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 the levels were fine on the river the main shore would you always try and get out on paddy's day oh absolutely yeah absolutely like the shore like if it's in condition the fishing is not in short of fantastic early in the season you know it can be absolutely brilliant what are you doing? Wet fly tactics this time of year? 
Um, well, you see, I'm often asked this question, right? People that say to me, hey, listen, I'm going fishing. Uh, you're going fishing Saturday. What, what are you going to do? I don't know until I see the river. You know what I mean? Conditions will dictate to a large degree. Now, of course, there are, there are certain things you can do and you'll always catch a few fish. But like, <clears throat> like I say, the river conditions itself would determine what you would what sort of techniques you would do. Now, 99% of the lads these days going onto the rivers, all you will see is lob, lob, lob. Fucking sorry for the language, but it's it's like it's very monotonous. Are you referring to nymphing there, George? You're on nymphing in particular. Now it's not I, people have this impression. I don't know how they get it that I'm somehow opposed to it. I'm not. I do it. I fish it myself. I think it's the fact that you called it that fucking love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, yeah. it is really monotonous way of fishing. Right now, there's no question, but it's really really effective. You know what Can I mean? I, okay, I've got to disagree with you, right, on that, right, and you're. 10 times more experienced than me, right? But my own experience, I love going down, right? I've got, if I've got an hour or two to spare, right? I've got down to the river. I know there's a stretch I can, I can nymph. And uh-huh. I just, do you know what? I love just that concentration bit, you know, where you just have to, you have that short drift. Yeah. You're looking for that take. It's so subtle. And then boom, it's either there onto the next one. And I just love that kind of, I don't know. It just, for me, it suits me. Well, each to their own, I suppose. But like, just from my own personal point of view, okay, I fish your own thing. No question. I do it, right? And I know that I catch a lot of fish in it, but it wouldn't be my preferred method, right? I fish, if I'm fishing nymphs, I like to fish up single upstream nymph, right? It's, for me, but I I can only speak for myself, it's a way more enjoyable way of fishing, right? Absolutely way more enjoyable. Wet fly fishing. Lovely way to fish, really relaxed, nice way of fishing. Lovely. It, it's as old as time began. Most of these fellas, you're an infant, wouldn't know what a wet fly is. They wouldn't know how to fish them. That's a fact. I mean, I run into them all the time. They haven't a clue about anything like that. All they know is lob, 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 as I call it. Continuously just lobbing. And I mean, like, that's fine. If that's what you want to do, that's great. But I feel that you're losing out a lot. I tell you what I would say to that, right, is, and I do agree in the sense of you do get caught into just doing the same style. It works. There's no doubt. It works and you're used to doing it. And, yeah. and I found this myself. You kind of go to the river, you've got your cast made up already. The nymphs are tied on. Yeah. It's as easy just to flick it out. Whereas, like you said, if you're actually looking at the river and the conditions probably go, do you know what? Maybe this isn't the time or the best best place in terms of the nymph to be doing it. I but- know for a fact, right? When the shore comes into condition, right? Or any river for that matter, in a given stretch of water, I'd probably catch four times as many fish using Euronymph as I would by fishing upstream for wet flies. Now, somebody, a lot of people say, why would you choose to fish wet flies or upstream nymph when you're going to catch four times as many fish? See, it's not just about the amount of fish or the number of fish you catch. It's about how you catch them. This is what it is for me. Now, I'm not trying to be elitist in any respect. All I'm saying is that I far more enjoy to fish those methods than I do Euronymphing. I maintain you could teach anyone to urine in 10 minutes. 10 minutes is all it would take for anyone who can just, you don't have to be able to cast. You don't have to know anything about uh, the river in terms of its nature or read the river. You just get into the river and just continuously lob and the fish will take your nymphs. That's it in a nutshell. It, it's it's not, it's, but it, it, like try to give you an example. Right? I ran into two guys. I've mentioned this before, I think. I ran into two guys there. It wasn't last season. I think it was the season before. Down at Camus Bridge where I've been fishing all my life. 
And I said, how are you boys? Blah, blah, blah. And we were talking away. And I said, where are you going? We're going, we're going nymphing. They said, I said, oh, you said, lovely, yeah. I said, but there's a few trout rising there earlier on. I said, they'll probably come on the rise again later on. I said, like you get them on the dries. Oh, I don't have any dry flights. I said, you're on the river shore and you don't have any dry flights. Are you serious? And they said, yeah, we, we don't know anything about dry fly fishing. Well, we catch plenty of fish on the nymphs. I said, yeah, this is just an example, right? Now, I'm not saying that every Euro nymph can't dry fly fish, but the vast majority of them, that's how they've been inculcated into fly fishing. It's Euro nymphing exclusively. Now, if that's what you want to do, you'll catch loads of fish, no question, but you won't learn a whole lot about fly fishing doing it. No, it's agree. I agree. And you know, the entomology side of it is so important from brown trout fishing. If you want to experience the the you know the three sixty degree, whatever you want to call it, encompassing yeah. um, parts of the shore, they'd be lost completely once it gets into May. Once uh, once it passes May, when the river drops low and you get weeds in the river, they won't be able to fish. They may as well be at home, stay at home, or go play golf or something. They won't be able but to. Fish. The thing is, there, I agree with you totally, George. It's what you get out of it. And it's like, as you said there, like, there's no doubt that you could catch four times as many fish uh, yeah. if you went euro-nymphing. Yeah. But you choose yourself yes. that you would sooner maybe get them on the single upstream nymph, yeah. which I actually agree with you, is, is absolutely lovely. It's yeah. a lovely method. But I think this is the important thing. And it comes a lot, comes out a lot here when we're talking to different people. A lot of it comes down to what you get yourself out of the sport. What you enjoy, yeah, yes, absolutely. What you enjoy, yes. But, but, but you're not a great. Just sorry, Darry, just interrupt for a second, right? I'm going to use another example here, right? I had two different lads from two different parts of the country whom I guided last year on the shore, right? <clears throat> One of them was from County Meath, and the other was from County, I think, just on the Cork Kerry border. They were urinimphers. Right. They contact me and they said, listen, well, you're an infant and we're having great success. Now, these were two completely differently different guys. They had no bear, no relationship to each other whatsoever. They didn't even know each other or anything like that. Both of them, when I took them out, right, and I showed them the joy of catching a trout on a dry fly. Right. I showed them how to catch a trout on a dry fly, something which they'd never experienced before. And it was like a revelation to them. They said, Jesus, this is unbelievable. This is magic in comparison to your infant. This is magic. That's what I think people are missing, you see. If they were introduced to, say, fishing a size 18 dry fly to a rising trout and to be able to stalk that trout and catch it, there's so much more in that than just lob, 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 as I call it. You know what I mean? There's I know, so I, much I, more. I, I, and you said to me as well, George, like lads like this would be, it could be on a river and there could be fish rising all around them. Yeah. And, and it yeah. wouldn't occur to them to put on a dry they fly. They wouldn't know how to fish a dry fly. They don't carry dry flies in their boxes. That's literally true. Right. Like well, I've, I've seen it. I've seen it here. And in a way, this is kind of similar to, and I, I use the word buzzer fishing on the locks here. And it's not everybody's cup of tea, but it can be a very successful method when it's on. But um, it got to the, I've seen, like I've seen it here, I was fishing with Mike Heady one day and we were in a bay and everybody, there was about six, seven boats, everybody was buzzer fishing. Everybody was buzzer fishing. And next thing, a hatch of olives happened. And um, fish switched up to olives and we actually switched to wets there and then. And I remember we caught on golden olive bumble, uh, red rib sooty. I think we got four or five fish really quickly fishing wets. And good fish as well. And But I remember looking around and every other boat Persisted in fishing buzzers through it. Yeah. 
They don't know how to you do know? anything else. Yeah, it was, well, it's it's like it's the mindset as well. It's it's sort of oh my god, no, this is working. This will yeah. always work. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you have to step back and look. But I, yeah, I also think as well as it's it's easier for people to kind of focus in on one aspect, and that's what they're used to doing, and they feel confident in doing that. Mm. Very you know, much so. It's a yeah. it's, it's it's you've got yeah. one arrow in your quiver. Whereas, you know, you need a couple of different, yeah, but, but, but to learn yeah, but to, to be an overall, to be an overall consistent angler, and maybe that's not everybody's ambition. You know what I mean? I have to accept that. Like some people mm. just want to urinate. And if they're happy to continue doing that, fair wind to their sails. But I just make the point that they are missing so much because fly fishing isn't just about lob, lob, lob or dry fly fishing exclusively or upstream nymphing. It's an all encompassing set of skills and and there's a whole lot more to it you can you, like they're missing so much and mm. like as i spoke about those two guys in particular they now are contacting me one of them contacted me last week to tie them up some dry flies for their rivers right they want to go dry fly fishing now they've seen the magic of it they had never expected now they've been fishing for a number of years believe it or not and exclusively Euronymphing, because that's how they were brought into the sport. And of course, like, if it's a successful method, and it, it's successful in terms of catching fish and numbers of fish, like all the competition fishers, they're all fishing Euronymphing. The reason being, you're going to catch a, a way more fish, but it's not just about numbers of fish, is it? Let's face it. But I think though, what you're saying, though, George, those, those two lads is, though, A, they're fly fishing, which is great, so they're interested in the sport. Yes. And is that if they're shown also the dry fly, yeah, they appreciate it and they do enjoy it. So yes, anglers like that just need to be kind of exposed to the additional ways. Yeah, but you're of never going to be exposed to it unless you actually seek it out. If you go to the river every day, you go fishing, and you just you're a nymph. You're not going to learn anything else, are you? You're just not going to learn it because I mean you're stuck in a rut in one thing. Okay, you caught thirty fish up to that run of water. Fantastic. But I would suggest that a nine-year-old could do the same. You know what I mean? You could teach a nine-year-old to fish urine and fish. Like it's that it's it's a very simple method of fishing. You know what I mean? It's it, it's very easy. And I suppose that's why it's easy to get into. And I suppose it's very easy to stick with. Yeah. And I but I like it. I look, I do hear you what you're saying is the danger is by sticking with that, you're just going through yeah. It's very one-dimensional. Yes. Yeah, it's it's rote learning, so to speak, like, you know. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. and, and there is so much more to it. And that is the beauty of fly fishing and brown trout, yeah. especially in terms of kind of the fly life. So tell me this. Um for the sure, um, the start of the season, um, I know obviously it's gonna be a washout at the moment. Like, yeah. but would you would you be there even early season? Would you get much of um would you see many flies hatching off the river, like in terms of for yeah, well again, like it that has become far less predictable than it used to be, you know. Like there are still hatches. Uh last season, for instance, now there were some nice hatches, but like where whereas before you could predict a hatch. Um, if you go back, say, a number of years ago, you could predict that would be a hatch in the morning and then there might be another little hatch in the afternoon, you know. Both of them may be lasting for an hour, an hour and a half. And if you were there at both of those times, you could get lovely lovely fishing, lovely dry fly fishing, you know, which is what I like to do. Um, but like I say, it's a lot less predictable. You could You could get a hatch today twice and then you go down for maybe three successive days and see nothing you know that kind of way it's become a lot less predictable there's a number of reasons for that 
but maybe it's beyond the scope of this. You could talk about it forever. There's so many yeah. different influences on the river now that weren't there before, you know, like you have all kinds of stuff happening that shouldn't be happening and influencing how nature is working, if you like. And it's been, there's a lot of bad stuff happening, not just on the shore, but in all rivers nationally and internationally, you know, there's a lot of bad stuff happening. Has the quality of the fishing gone down then on the shore? You see, I wouldn't say it's very hard to define that because like I get fantastic fishing on the shore, right? Throughout the season, because like, I know it like the back of my hand. I know, I know 15 miles of the river. Like I know my kitchen here. So like, I know what to do and where to go. I've been a long time at it. So I know how to get the best out of it, but somebody who didn't know the river would struggle to get the same quality of fishing because obviously they, they wouldn't know the river like I do. Um, the fishing is brilliant, provided that you know, you have the necessary skills, of course, first of all, and that you know where to go on a given day or a given evening or whatever the case would be, because it's changed so much. Like there are large parts of the river now are completely unfishable, unfishable beyond mid-May. It's unprecedented. I've never seen anything like it. Last year was the worst I've ever seen. Because of the reeds, was it? The, weed the growth of bulrushes in particular. Bulrushes, bulrushes yeah, growing up. Which we, which we discussed with you last year. Yeah, it's absolutely so you're, What you're saying, like, you know, you can fish the, the, those areas up until May, but like they're virtually, they are unfishable afterwards. After to May? a large degree, Tom, yeah, wow. they're largely unfishable because you simply can't cast any place because you're going to get tangled up and everything. Yeah. Now, where it's less invasive, if you like, there'll be little channels and little places where I know where you'll still get fishing, even among the bulrushes. I actually made a video about it, believe it or not. It's called Fishing Among the Bulrushes. If you want to check my YouTube channel, it's on it. But I know where there are open areas um, that would be like it's, it's, it's terrible to think of it that I now have to go and seek out open areas to fish, whereas before you could virtually go anywhere you wanted. And you could fish like last year was the worst example I've ever seen. Like there was miles of the river completely unfishable places that would have been fishable the season before, if you like. Was this the Holy Cross stretch? Was it? Uh, um, no, no. I'll tell you where it would be from. I, I don't know if you're you may not be familiar with it. Right. But if you take effectively from Ardmail to the moat in Golden. Right. That's a long stretch of river. The vast majority of that was unfishable last season. Right. Prime, prime stretches of the shore, largely unfishable, sort of mid to, to late May onwards, completely unfishable. It's tragic to see it. It's an absolute tragedy. And like, it appears that nothing can be done about it. It's all down to basically... Intensive agriculture is what's the, the, largely mm. the cause of it, and uh, we're 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 unfortunate in that, in the sense that we're living in the so-called Golden Vale, the best land in the country, if it's not some of the best land in the world for dairying in particular, and it's the dairying that has accelerated the problems. We now have more. We now have more cows in County Tipperary than in the whole of Scotland. Isn't that hard to imagine? But the national herd size is only the same as it was in the 1980s. The national herd size, not here locally, it's not. It may be nationally, but here locally, we have a 50% increase since 2017. 
dairying has exploded around here. Everyone, it's they call it white gold now, milk, white gold. That's 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 where <laughs> the money is at in terms of agriculture. Like I've seen more people taking up dairying in the last few years. It's just unbelievable, and particularly yeah. in the Golden Vale because you have the best land for it. And not only uh, is it having an impact on the rivers, it's having an impact on the environment in general. Um, they're taking out the ditches at a phenomenal rate, filling in ponds. I mean, you, you, like, if you can think of a bad thing to do to the to the environment, it's being done. Is it? Are we in danger then, as well as that? You know, if we keep referring it to as you know uh, one of the finest brown trout rivers in Europe, that we kind of don't notice these changes that are happening or these depreciations until suddenly could be talking 10, 20 years and you're like, well, see, I've noticed this it, right? It's been happening incrementally for quite a long time, right? But the rate of acceleration in depreciation in the last four or five years in particular has been just astounding. The change has been occurring over, say, 30 years in particular, right? There's been a lot of changes happening, but they were, they were happening relatively slowly, as you say. So a lot of people might really notice Right. I've noticed it and I have spoken about it at length in various places. But in recent years, in the last four to five years, the amount of shite that's been pumped into our waterways is accelerated to a it, 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 it's increasing exponentially. It's 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 uh, we I put it to you this way. Right. If you increase your herd by 50 percent. You're going to need 50% more fertilizer. You're going to spend 50% more slurry. You're going to f- produce 50% more of all the bad stuff. That's the reality. I mean, that's. I mean, you don't need to be a biologist or a rocket scientist to figure that out. All this so-called, they'd call, they'd call it improvements and advancements and all the rest of it. Yeah, okay, you can produce more milk per acre now, but you're pumping out more shit and you're producing more shit and more slurry and more chemicals and more herbicides and more pesticides. You're you're annihilating the environment to make more money. That's essentially what's happening. And the river is paying the call. I can see it. It's quite obvious. There's still some incredible fishing. Absolutely. I've I've already said that. I get fantastic fishing. Like, you know, you know that 15-mile stretch like your kitchen, right? And I know my... Yeah. Part of the lake out here, like my kitchen. Yes. And here's what I wanted to ask you. I'd know places in the lake where there'd be flies hatching. Yes. Where I'd go to. Yeah. To get a to get a hatch of fly. Can you do that with the river? Absolutely. Yeah. Can you? Can indeed. Absolutely. Yeah. Can. No bother whatsoever. That, that's amazing. So, like, like let's say if I was to arrive down and wait, wait for an iron blue hatch, yeah. right? At the time yeah. of the year, the chances of me, unless it was a phenomenal hatch that day, yeah. Yeah. whereas Let's say that time of year with the Iron Blue, you go, well, I might go up here, little boring down there. Yeah. They, they always happen. So that, yeah. that's well, I can, I can, I can uh, illustrate that for you. Uh, like it happens all the time here, right? I'm in contact with other anglers, right? And I say, I could be fishing, say, just for the sake of argument, I could be fishing in Golden, right? Yeah. And I come home at 11 at night, not after rising, and a fellow would ring me. Jesus, there was some hatch above in Ballycamas. The fishing was on yeah. And it, yeah, you know what I mean? And they're like literally not like 10 minutes apart in order to drive. Right. You know what I mean? Mm. So the, And the same thing could happen in reverse. I might get great fishing and they yeah. might. You know what I mean? It all depends. And like I say, you can predict that to a degree, but not with any certainty anymore. It, yeah, this is fascinating though, because it's like when I'm hearing that about you, uh, and and your experience on the shore, and you're going, yeah, of course that's the way, and you know, because you're aware of that. 
But it's like when people come down to me and I say to them, exactly, don't they're only going to be in certain places. And they're sort of taken aback. And I'm yeah. going, but you look, that's the way it is. Yeah. <laughs> you know? you that's know? nature. Yeah. Nature. Yeah. George, what's your favorite time of year to fish the shore? My favorite time is, believe it or not, it might seem contradictory, the month of June. Evening right. times in the month of June. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. I fish. Um, my favorite flight of fish is the sherry spinner, the spinner of the blooming olive. Right. When that happens, bliss is all I can call it. <laughs> and is, that a, is that a daytime or an evening time? Oh, that's an evening time. Right. And from what time? Dusk, basically. You right. get a hatch. You, you, well, the, t- the two things can happen sim- simultaneously, but generally what will happen is you'll get a hatch of blooming olives, new new flies hatching off. And then you'll get the spinners going back, the females going back to lay their eggs. And the trout will key in. Usually they'll key in on one or the other. Now, they can take both, some of the trout. But so, what you'll find is, what I find is this, my experience is that the older, more experienced trout, generally speaking, the larger trout, will key in on the spinners because they know they can't get away, that they're dead, they're effectively dying in dead flies. So, like, like for example, on Chelan, they go for the, the, the spent nap mayflies because they know they're not going to get them away, so the bigger yeah. trout move up because it's, it's easy food. Exactly. And yeah. they know that the fellow that's hatched yeah. out is likely to fly away. So they know the difference. So what they do is the bigger, larger trout will tend to concentrate on the flies that they know they can easily catch. That's essentially what it amounts to. And, and that's why they're but, big. Yeah. And you can also get another strange thing to happen. And I've seen this happen, but it only happens with sort of individual trout and generally the very large ones. And what they do in a hatch, we'll just assume for a second that you were blooming olive hatch. They'll key in on the cripples. Right. They key in on the cripples. I've watched them from close range and they yeah. let the newly hatched flies pass, except the guy whose wing is trapped or he's caught in the shock or his tail is trapped or somehow that he can. And they know that he can't get away. So that's the extent of, of they can actually reach that level of sophistication, if you like. So therefore, if you hit, if you fish with a conventional blooming olive, uh, say a fly, to that trout, they completely ignore it. But yes, if you cut one of the wings off and let it hang down, they'll take it the next time. So that's just to give you an indication of, of the level of sophistication. And this is all the stuff that the lovers are missing. <laughs> well, I was going to say, you can understand forget, why people do the Euro nymphing. It's a lot easier yeah. doing nymphing, like I tell you. Than trying to figure out the lovers. Trying to figure out those crippled, bloody uh, flies. Like. Yeah. And, and come, so here, that's, come here, the lovers are highly engrossed as to the size of the bead. So yeah, they are, yeah. That's very important. <laughs> I'm going to stand up for the nymphing gang here now. So. I'm, I'm on the fence between you, okay? Right. Fucking Halford and Crow here. Like, you know what I mean? Like, really. It's just that they just, they just need to kind of get a bit more, learn a bit more of this. Um, so June is basically when you're, when you're fishing for that, um, for the, the sherry spinners, is it? And yeah, a couple well, of weeks in June. June is it into George? July, you know. June into July evening time, yeah, is best. It's uh, absolutely fascinating. And what about the sedge fishing? Yeah, again, um, that can be, that's that's very good as well. You know, just generally, again, it's as the blueing olive hatch and the spinners peter out, 
the, the sedges then start to hatch, roughly speaking, around that time. And that can be kind of frantic and hectic because it's a different type of fishing altogether. You know, it's kind of a very frantic type of fishing as opposed to the sherry spinner fishing, which is a kind of a very genteel kind of an art with the, I don't know, it's hard to, to, to kind of explain it, but with the, the sedges, it's kind of more frantic slashing and all kinds of stuff going on, you know, whereas this, the sherry spinner, when they take it, it's so subtle a lot of the time people who wouldn't have the experience or who are inexperienced don't even see the trout take the, the fly, you know, because it can be so subtle. They barely break the water, you know, so. And you'd be getting good size of fish. Oh yeah. Like I catch great fish on the sherry spinner. It's surprising the amount of big fish you can catch on such a tiny fly. A small fly. Yeah. What sizes would you be? What's your best like you've had on the shore? Well, I've, I have a video there. If you want to have a look at it, check my YouTube channel again. I think I, I titled this an epic battle with a large trout or words to that effect. If you want to watch that video and that fish was around five pound weight and like I, you'd catch like big fish would say what I term a big fish in the shore would be anything from two pounds up and you'd catch you, you can you, I've caught quite a number of them um, last season and every season I catch quite a number of them on the sherry spinner. Yeah. Great stuff. George. Yes. Shocked in the gale get on. Yeah, uh, right. Now, Irene, fear Tani Maradirha, Nis Dale Nisa Tailsor. August, how right? On on Anar August on Glash, Eastlish and Leastlish Anum on 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 Alanshaw. Glenshid Eric Hotu, Clash Ali, and fear Animata Er no on Glash Oilin, the beautiful brook. Beautiful fear yeah. <laughs> 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 Ten the heesk sheer goody on yeah, 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 yeah. So, so she named Maravian Slishna, Nishna, Nahinche Bugamardeha. The Shishinga Jasmar sort 
What's become increasingly popular here now, I haven't participated myself during the close season. We have lads here now who fishing for pike on the shore during the close season, you know, and they're fly fishing. Well, they call it fly fishing. This thing is the, the lures that they use. They're called flies. But like I haven't tried it now. It's supposed to be fascinating. I, uh, like I've, my friend, I think, whom you spoke to before, um, David Anshul does a good bit of it. Yeah, there's a lot of pike actually in the shore um, and like going back many, many years ago when I was a child, there was there was a few old men here in Cashel who fished exclusively for pike. And they were kind of deep. I, I remember hearing conversations among them, you know, like they they were the pike were demonized mm. to the point where I was afraid if I ever caught one, how would I get it? What because they had it demonized at the point, like they said, they'd eat you like. You know what I mean? Like, I thought it was like some kind of a, a shark. If you got him out of the river, he'd deliberately chase around after you and try and bite you and stuff. That was the kind of way they spoke about the pike, you know. But these old men used to catch enormous pike. My father now used to fish with frogs. They used to use frogs a lot. Uh, or an eel's tail, right? Or even a sprat, a small trout. But the frog was the best one, apparently. But I often heard, I've heard conversations among them when I was a child. And like, they literally did catch pike in 30, 35 pound weight, massive fish. And what they used to do was just hang them up in trees and let the crows eat them. They, they, had, they hated them for some reason, but they went down and caught them and fished for them, did the whole day fishing for them and then hang them up in trees and let the crows eat them. I mean, well, oh, wasn't, the, wasn't the thinking on it, George, is that they were, you know, taking the tray, eating the trout. Yeah, but these fellas weren't fishing trout at all. These fellas fished exclusively for pike. Oh, just so like it made no sense, really, you know. But like that's yeah. what they did. But I have to tell you a funny story about one fella, right? And this this is absolutely true, right? This is the story he told, right? He had a terrier. He called him a Jack Russell, but I don't believe he was a Jack Russell. I remember him. You couldn't go near the house where he lived because he'd eat you. He was a savage of a dog. I'd say he was a, a bits as we call him around bits of this and bits of that. He there was everything in him. But he used to he said he used to bring this Jack Russell with him when he'd go fishing to kill the pike. Because of the danger that the pike had ate you, you know, he had this dog to kill the pike. Right? So when he'd catch the pike and pull him out of the river with a gaff, the dog would literally kill the pike. He'd latch onto his head and bite him and he'd kill him, right? But this same terrier, or as he called him, a terrier, right? This, this terrier, not only would he kill pike, right? He'd kill rats. He'd kill nearly every cat around the area, right? He'd bring him digging badgers and foxes and all the rest of this. This terrier was a legend in the locality, (laughs) but he was such a legend. And so he had such regard for this terrier. He lived to 21. He lived to the age of 21. When he died, he was devastated over this dog because like, I mean, he was a legend. You know what he did? He said he got the dog skinned. Right. And he got a waistcoat made out of the, out of the dog's skin. That's tough. And he also said that on a Friday night, he'd be going downtown for a couple of pints 
And he said, if you're a dog barking the way down, he said, the hair used to stand up on the back of the waistcoat. <laughs> <laughs> and you oh. dare not contradict him, or if you laughed, because he actually believed it himself. Have you, you know seen the waistcoat? <laughs> he, he he believed this. He 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 was telling the truth as he saw it. If a dog barked on his way down the town, the hair used to stand up on the back of the waistcoat. <laughs> George, did you see this waistcoat? <laughs> no, I never saw the waistcoat, but that was the story that he told. And like he was telling this in earnest. This wasn't a lie. This was the absolute truth. And the same fellow, your dad and contradict him because he's <laughs> He used to carry a walking stick and he'd hit you a flog of it fairly quick. <laughs> I bet you he was anyway, into your, was he into your own infant, George, was he? I'd say he probably was. He was a lobber. Yeah, yeah, he was a lobber. <laughs> you could tell him a mile off. <laughs> you could. You always have a killer dog with him. <laughs> George, thanks a million for joining us. Uh, no it's water. been insightful, entertaining, engaging. Yeah. Um Whatever else, uh, we'll have to get John later in the season um, to tell Talk us about, about more And um, I have to actually, do you know what we should do is we should go out fishing and bring the recorder and we can put the world to right while we'll we're doing a, we'll it. We'll have like. a right out bit of crack. Oh, stop. Yeah, but Tom, Quara, I got to Nish, Tom. Well, Tom Quara, honor is coming. Tasulagum will the passport evine. Yeah. Well, Tom, I couldn't encourage in George. McGrath for joining us on the show. And don't forget to rate, review, and follow the Ireland on the Fly podcast on Apple. Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast from. Plus, you can keep up to date on IrelandOnTheFly.com as well as on Instagram. And myself and Tom will be back with another episode about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. <laughs>